Welcome home, family. Hope you guys are having a great Sunday morning. It's always good when the music um, starts making me hoarse even before I get up here. So, <coughs> we are continuing our trek through the Book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we've we've seen how God has created. We've seen how God. Uh, has created humanity. We've seen how humanity has gone astray, and we have seen how God responds to man's sinfulness with judgment, and also but with recreation. And now we're getting to a point where we see how God uh, selects a family of people to be His and to follow Him, and um, that makes all the difference. And so we're going to be in Genesis 12 here in a minute, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, t- this day, a day we can come before you as your family, a day we can come before you and praise your holy name. So Lord, we pray for this time as we open up your word, we ask that what we need to see, we can see, that what we need to learn, you can teach us, that how we need to, be, how we need to respond can be clear to us. Lord, we love you and we ask that you can make your word alive in our hearts and our minds through this morning. So we can know you, and we can know what you have done for us. Lord, we love you, and we seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in a typical family, for the most part. I have to put that caveat, because you know my family. For the most part, it's a typical family. And we are a loud family. When discussions happen around the dinner table, we get loud and louder and louder. And I think that kind of carries out to all of who we are. We're just kind of a loud family. And so, you know, when, when people wanted other people's attention in our house, it was not uncommon for us to shout names across the house. Pretty typical. That's normal, though. I mean, if you live in a house more than just one room, you usually are shouting across it for your kids or maybe even your parents. And so my parents would yell out our names, and we would yell back, what? Before we, of course, responded like obedient children, because we're good. Um, <coughs> And so that's all really normal. But the dynamic changes a little bit when you also live in a house that is occupied by several parrots who copy repeated noises. And so it was not uncommon for one parrot in particular, a, a macaw, to shout out my brother's name, Aaron, just randomly. At all times of day, if the light was up, it would shout out his name, and only his name. No matter what my parents say, it was only his name that shouted out. And it gets a little bit more awkward when these parrots actually had a window to the outside, and so people across the neighborhood would hear this bird shout out, Aaron! And of course, you know, sometimes Aaron would go running thinking his parents were mad at him. And so, you know, it could be a big debate. He's not actually in here. He's back in kids. About why uh, it was only his name. He has his theory. I have my theory. Um, and my theory is correct. But... It could be a big debate, and now that I revealed that my parents like to shout out us, at us across the room, it's just a fact of parenthood, isn't it? We shout for our kids. We call for them. We call for their intentions, and this is a reoccurring fact of parenthood. We call for our kids, and think of the different kind of occasions you shout out for your kids. I mean, the typical one, we call for their attention, we call for them to answer us, to respond to us, for them to receive instruction. We call out to them when they're playing a game to be encouraged and to play harder and faster and keep their eye on the ball. 
We call out to them so that they know that they're seen and that their behavior is not going unnoticed. And for all other sorts of reasons, parents call out to kids. And there's power in calling to someone, isn't there? It's amazing how if you can, you can be in the most crowded environment you can imagine, at a party where you can hardly even hear a conversation, but someone calls out your name from across the room, you hear it. You might not hear anything else, but you hear someone calling for you. And in today, in Genesis chapter 12, we see how God calls Abram. How he picks someone and he calls to them and they respond. And Abram is the father of faith. He's described throughout the Bible as being the one which our faith is descended from, that we trace our spiritual lineage back to him. And so his story is not just his story, it's our story as well. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, do not worry. It's going to be on the screen and we're just going to read Genesis chapter 12, how God calls Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot with, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took, his, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pinched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards uh, Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it, might, it may go well with me because of you, and that my wife may be spared for your sake. My life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave, or men, gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. We see in Genesis chapter 12 a very simple yet profound truth, and it's this. God calls. And that changes everything. God 
calls and we see him for who he is before the very fact that God calls shows us what kind of manner God is. Because God calls, we see that he is a personal revealing God. Without him calling, we would know nothing of God except for that he is creator and powerful. But he calls, showing that he's personal. And he calls us to him, showing that he's intentional, that he has plans for us. And so we see who God is in the simple fact that God calls. And when we look at Genesis chapter 12, we see that this is still true today, that God calls Abram, and he's still calling us today, for Abram's story is our story as well. That when you look at Abram, you can really see it being a microcosm of us, and how what we experience, and what we go through, and how God is faithful to us. God calls. And that's where the narrative starts. That we have just come from Genesis chapter 11 where we see this, the, who, who Abram is and who he's descended from and how this fits in with the, what has come before. And Abram and his family are living in the land of Or and they're with these different people and it's this pagan world that does not know God and they're following their own ways. And it's into this context, God calls Abram. And he calls him out of that land. He says, leave your country. Leave your kindred. Leave your father's house. You can see it almost escalating as God calls Abram. He says, leave your country, not only that, but leave your people you know. Not only that, but leave your own family to follow me. It doesn't really give details to Abram on where he's going. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show you where to go, but you follow me. He calls Abram from his country. And it's, a, it's this great uh, kind of into the unknown that he calls Abram. John Calvin, a, a reformer from the 15th century, says this about this call. He says, in, fact, in effect, God is saying, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you. Until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. In effect, God was saying, come, Abram, don't worry about what you're giving up. Don't worry about what you're leaving. Don't worry about where you came from, but focus on me and give yourself fully to me. That he is being, trust, he is being asked to trust God's bare word and that alone. And Abraham trusted and he followed. And he was given a promise in this call. God looks at Abram, he calls Abram and says, follow me and I will make you a great nation. Follow me and I'll make your name great. Follow me and whoever curses you will be cursed and whoever is blessed, uh, blesses you will be blessed. It's this great call. And if we read it in context of Genesis, we see the irony here because we just heard last week with the Tower of Babel that these people were trying to make themselves great. And they're trying to make their name great. And God scattered people across the earth because they were doing that. But now he gives that exact same promise to Abram, but through him. Instead of trying to do it on their own, he says, follow me and I will make you great. Follow me and I will lift up your name so people know it. Follow me and I'll use you as my tool to spread my blessing across the whole world. It's this great promise that Abram is given and we look at this, 
we see the fact that that is our story as well. For if you are a Christian, if you know Christ, if you look back on your life, you realize that you were called. And when you were called, you were not uh, searching and pushing towards God or trying to make your life right. When you were called, you were back in your darkened world with no understanding of who he was, and yet he called you out of that. And if you look back on your life, you realize when God calls you, he calls you to give up your allegiances to other things. He calls you to look around and say, compare me versus them and come towards me no matter what. And so this is our story as well, that he calls us to follow him. That we're just like Abram, that we're called from our nation, we're called from our people, we're sometimes even called from our own family to follow him and and him only. And we find our new identity in God. We find our new identity particularly in Christ. It's amazing if you start looking through the New Testament you see this theme come up again and again that God is calling us. Christ is calling us. Just a really short little survey. You can see how Romans talks about God calls us to his purpose. You have uh, 1 Corinthians calls us into fellowship with Jesus. Ephesians talks about what we're called to one hope. Philippians talks about how we're called upward to Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians talks about how he who calls us is faithful, so we trust in him. 2 Thessalonians says we're called to salvation and glory of Christ. 2 Timothy talks about how we're called to a holy calling. 1 Peter talks about how we're called to be holy. We're called to suffer alongside of Christ, and we're called to bless people. And that's just a little taste of again and again this emphasis throughout the Bible that God calls us. He calls us with purpose. He calls us by name. And if you know Christ, this is your story, that God called you and it made all the difference. So we see in Abram this truth that just as God called Abram from his darkened world to follow him, so God calls each and every one of us to follow him and trust in him. And just like with Abram, we're given a promise. What's that promise? We're given a promise that God is with us. We're given a promise that we'll be with God, that we'll be grafted into his family, that we'll be his. And just like with Abram, we see this promise coming to full fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For when we look back through the lens, we see that we are Abram's spiritual descendants. That his promise, we're reaping the benefit of the promise given to Abram. That we are are, are children of faith. I love how Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3 when he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are faithful, who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. That's saying this promise to Abraham finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and is true for each of us who know him that we have this promise. We're called and we're given this promise that we will be part of God's blessing to this world. We'll be part of God's family. So what does this mean for us? The fact that we're called 
the fact that we're given promises by God, what well, means God is calling? Are you listening? God speaks to us. Are we responding? God commands us. Are we obedient? So often in our lives, we can look around and say, man, I just wish, I really wish God would speak to me, would show me what I'm supposed to do, would guide me in my life. And the irony is he has, and he does. And it's sitting, most likely right there on a shelf in your house. That This is God's word to each one of us, and he speaks through it, and he shows us how we respond to his call through it, and that the word is given to us so that we can respond to the fact that God calls us. God calls, and he calls us to follow. And in Abram, we see a response, a response of faith. So Abram is called by God, and what does Abram do? He doesn't question it. He doesn't talk with God about how leaving his country, but he gets up and he leaves, taking his wife, his possessions, his nephew falls along, and they leave their country and they head towards the land God points out to him. That he has active obedience in God's calling. Not only that, but then he starts praising God's name. He builds an altar for the Lord and he calls upon the name of the Lord. And so he's worshiping God for calling them from his land. And that we see in Abram a, a full-orbed obedience, a full-orbed orbed life of worship. That he does not just praise God's name on, through a sacrifice on an altar, but he follows and is obedient to what God has called. As we read this, we should see and be convicted about that and ask ourselves, do we praise God in the same way? In the first same full-orbed way that Abram praised God? That we can come here and we sing songs and we offer our hearts and our minds with gratitude to the Lord and that is good. But do we also do what Abram did and follow and are obedient to the call that God has, has for us and seek to be obedient in all that we do? And when we look about how we praise, we are encouraged and have confidence that we don't even praise God like Abram had to with an altar where he sacrificed something hoping that God would respond with favor with it. That we have Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself so that when we approach the throne of grace, we do it with confidence, knowing that through the blood of Christ, God listens and cares for us. That we know, as Romans speaks of, that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so that when we praise, we know God listens and hears and responds because of who Jesus is and our faith in him. So we, call, we are called to praise the Lord just like Abraham with obedience but also with worship, but we don't need altars anymore because we have Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that we should praise our Lord with our lives, everything we have. Romans 12 one says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. We don't have to go to an altar anymore, but I love the irony is that now, because Christ has fulfilled that and completed that, and we have total access to God through Christ, we now offer our bodies as if we're climbing onto the altar, saying, God, take me and use me. Here I am. 
So we praise our God through our active obedience. And what does that look like? That means that when we praise God, it does not end here at church, but it flows over into Monday morning. With the case of the Mondays, as you head off to work, we praise God wherever we are. We live lives in such a way that people look at us and say, why are you different? Where is your hope found? That we help people and care for people and love people, not just because that's what they do to us, but because God calls and commands us to be out there living for him and all that we do. God calls. God calls us to worship him with all of who we are. But I love the Bible so much because it doesn't just leave it there, because if it left it there, we're like, man, that's a high standard I don't think I can live up to. But it shows us that the father of the faith, Abram, was a mess up just like us. For it shows him stumbling in a pretty big way. And so the story continues. Abram receives this call from God. He leaves his country. He's praising God. He goes down into Egypt. And all of a sudden, he starts doubting and questioning whether God is actually going to do what he said. God just promised Abram he's going to take care of him. That those who cursed him would for, or have dishonor towards him are going to be cursed and have dishonor back to him. That people do deal well with him, they'll do, the, God will deal well with them. He's promised these great things to Abram. That he's going to be the father of a great nation. That his name is going to be great. And then he gets down to Egypt and he starts fearing the Egyptians. And then he does one of the most jacked up things imaginable. That he looks around and says, these Egyptians look kind of scary. And Sarah, you're a hottie. And they're going to look at you. And then they're going to kill me because they're going to want you. So what's better than that is call me your brother and I'm just going to give you to them. That's what he does. How jacked up is that? I can't think of a bigger way that this man of faith could have stumbled. That not only is he questioning God's purpose, but he's actually saying, I'm going to give my wife up to save my own skin. And this is the man of faith where we track our spiritual heritage too. That's counted to him as righteousness because he believed. Well, we can't get off on Abram that mad because we do the same thing. Now, we're probably not giving up our wives to Pharaoh. But we stumble, and we mess up, and we doubt, just like Abram. That we hear the great promises of a God, speaking through the Word, speaking from church, telling us, I have you, I've got you, I have a plan for you, I'm moving your life, follow me. And we doubt, and we stumble, and we mess up. <laughs> we can hear the promises, and we mess up. How many of us, of you, have messed up and stumbled this week? I have. I can be honest. I have, I have uh, lost my temper. I have had thoughts that no Christian man should have thoughts rattling around my brain. I've responded with people with not love, with not the respect they do. I have sinned greatly, not just against man, but against God himself. And my, all this week, 
And I am about, and I'm preaching the great promises of God that we have in Jesus Christ, and we lose sight of that so quickly and so easily. And we stumble, and we start doubting. And it can happen even today on your way home after church, after hearing the great promises of God and what he has for you, we can lose our temple, temper at the person that cuts us off as we're trying to beat the Baptists and the Methodists to lunch. We can have heard the great promises of God and lose sight of it so quickly and doubt and stumble and mess up. But thanks be to God, literally, that our salvation, our standing with God is not determined by how well we follow. For if that was the case, we would be doomed. If that was the case, we would never make the cut. But we remember and we focus the great truths that we're told again and again through God's Word, like in uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, when it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is not about how well we follow, but it's the fact that in our weakness, in our stumbling, in our mess-ups, in our failure, in our rebellion and sin, God preserves us and pulls us forward, and he provides salvation for us through Jesus Christ. And we praise his name because of that. And what does that mean for us? It means that we need to have the right perspective every time we do stumble and fail and mess up. We strive for holiness. We strive to follow God because that's what he's called us to do. And we try with all of our might. And we try to kill sin wherever we see it in our lives. But we are, will never be perfect this side of the grave. And we'll mess up and we'll stumble. And what do we do then? We mourn. We lament the fact that it happened, but we don't put our hope in that we could do better because our hope comes from Jesus Christ who's already done it perfectly and has given that to us. So instead of stumbling or dwelling in the fact that we stumble and, and staying there, we look and turn our eyes to Christ. We say with Jude, now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling, and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our, Father, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before our time now and forever. Amen. That we look to Christ, look to God, and know that he preserves us and pulls us through. God calls. God calls the stumblers, the sinners, the failures. And we're thankful for that. And we see that as God calls us, he preserves us. That's what happens with Abram. And Sarai, his wife, they're down in Egypt. He's given her away. He's, he's doing pretty good. Pharaoh likes him now. Gives him a lot of oxen and donkeys. That's good, right? But what does God do? He preserves his promise. 
and he preserves Abraham and his wife. He pulls them out of there by sending plagues against Pharaoh so that Pharaoh goes, what is going on? Abram, what did you do to me? Take your wife and get out of here. He preserves, God preserves Abram and his wife and the promise that he made to them by acting against the Egyptians so that they're saved from the situation that Abram put himself in. And God preserves them. He does the same for us. Because as we said, as we have all agreed, we mess up. We fail. We stumble. We put ourselves in situations that are not good, that we could have kept ourselves out of, but we chose to approach those anyways. And guess what? God preserves us. Because again, it's not how well we can hold it together. It's not how well we can get it together that saves us, but it's the power of Christ and what He has done that brings failures and mess-ups and sinners back out of darkness and into His kingdom, and then He preserves them. This is why Paul speaks in Philippians and says, I am sure of this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's not Paul saying, I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to get together. I'm sure you guys are going to get it okay. I'm sure you guys, if you guys get a second chance, you can do it. No, he says, I'm sure of this. God is going to pull you to completion so that you are made holy, so that you can follow him, so that you can be his when he returns. That we don't look to our own might, but again, we look to Christ's might and his salvation. And we trust that God preserves. We trust that He is working. So we focus on Him. God calls and God preserves. So when we look at the story of Abram, we see the story of our life as well. That God calls us from darkness. That God calls us to worship Him. That God calls us even when we stumble and we mess up, He's got us. And that God is going to preserve us to the very end as we trust in Him. And when we look at this, per- this passage, we like to make it about ourselves. But really what we see most and foremost in this passage is that we see God and that He does it all. And we praise Him for that. That he calls us. He transforms us. He changes us. He picks us up when we fail. He preserves us till the end. He ensures it. He makes sure it's going to happen. He guarantees it. And he's bringing us to completion when he comes back. That is where our hope lies. In him. Not in ourselves. Praise be to our God who does it all. Calls us and saves us. And praise be to our calling God. Because the very fact that God calls answers one of the biggest questions we all have in our life. What is God's will for my life? What does God want for me? We can be honest with one another. We've all asked that question. No matter how long you've known God, you could have been following Him since you are five, or you can just be bumping up against that question of who God is. But we have this question, what does God want from me? What does God want from me in this situation? What does God want me to do with my life? How am I supposed to respond to what God has done with me? What is God's will for my life? 
I've been there. Sometimes it happens in confusing times when life doesn't seem to be going how you want it to go, and you stop and you go, whoa, what is going on, God? Sometimes it's at those big kind of junctions in life where you can go this way or that way, and you have to stop and pause and say, what am I supposed to do here? But we have all asked this question, some of us more often than others, what does God want me to do? Well, with all humility, I can answer that question for you right now. Because it's very clear what God wants for you. It's very clear what God's will is for your life. Every single one of you. God's will is that you know and follow him. It's that simple and yet that hard. God's will is that you know him, you follow him, you respond to his call. Because God is calling. How are you responding? How that looks in your life could be a little different than how it looks in my life. But the fact that God calls, there's things that are similar in every single human who responds to God's call. That we pick up our Bibles and we know God through his word. That we seek to honor him through the commands he's given us. That we give all of who we are over to him and say, use me, Lord, because you have called for all of who I am and it's at your disposal. That we seek to love people as he calls us to love people. That we seek to respond people because they're made in his image that we seek to spread the truth the fundamental truth that jesus christ came down to us while we're still sinners while we want nothing to do with god and gave his life so that we are saved through him and we make that truth known to everyone in our lives and we preach it and proclaim it with love and winsomeness and say this makes all the difference You want to know what God's will for your life is? He calls you to follow him in all that you do. With love, with respect to those around us, with boldness and confidence that the same God who calls is the God who promises that we know where we're going to end up. That he keeps us from stumbling and when we stumble to He picks us up and that he preserves us to the end. God calls. Let us all answer and follow him. Join me in prayer. (coughs) Dear Father, we praise your holy name. We praise you because you have given us your word. That we can open it up and we see... Excuse me. We can see the universal truth that you call your people to you. That you call them out of their way of life where they didn't know you before. That you call them to worship you with all who they are. That you call us, Lord. That Abram's story is our story, not just because he is the father of faith, but because you act the same with each and every one of us and you call us to you. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us here that we can respond, that we can answer your call. Whether it's that first initial call where we're just getting to know you and you called us and we respond with faith and we trust in you, or if it's that 10,000th response in our life, 
where we've been following you, but we're called one step further to give our life to you. I pray that each and every one of us can respond to what you've done in our life. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.